Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Ag Market Network, uh, July 12th edition of our program. Uh, give a little history for those of you that might be new to listening. We're about 20 years old. We've been doing this uh, since 1998. I want to welcome you. We uh, kind of to explain our program, uh, we uh, meet each month one day after the uh, crop report. Uh, we've got a cotton panel of four people that normally dial in. One of our speakers will kind of take the lead, and then the others will join in. Uh, our program lasts about 30 minutes, uh, and uh, we do respond to questions. If we and we'll, we'll have questions that are emailed or text in, and we try to respond to that. Uh, you also can come back and listen at on our website. We'll have it up here this morning. Uh, the recording is www.agmarketnetwork.com. So uh, just want to make you aware of that. Uh, we do also want to let people know that each summer we have a special meeting in New York. It's called the uh, New York Cotton Market Roundtable, and uh, this year it will be the 26th of July at 7.30 in the morning, our usual time, central time, uh, and we'll, be, we'll have our panel actually in New York where uh, Ice Futures host us, but we are actually hosted and, and do our meeting at the New York Stock Exchange, which is uh, – which is really neat. This will be our fourth year to do that, although we've been doing our meeting in New York. Uh, this might be the 19th year for that. Uh, so let's kind of go forward here. Uh, uh, Dr. John Robinson will, will kick us off and give us his thoughts on the crop report yesterday and just his general observations about the cotton market. John? Thank you, Pat. Good morning, everybody. So um, we are, as we have been for the last month or couple months since May, in the, in the period where we've got two crop reports to digest, both old and new crops. So the old crop numbers, to me, saw, really, they saw more adjustments than I was expecting. Uh, some of them not very large, but, but a few of them were. So let me talk about that. The biggest changes, uh, first of all, in India, curiously enough, they raised old crop Indian production by a half a million bales, and they kind of balance that out with uh, small changes, reductions to their imports. Uh, they raised their domestic use. They lowered their exports by 400,000 bales. But there was a net increase in Indian carryout. Saw something in China where they uh, raised a half a million bales of imports and a half a million bale cut in Chinese domestic use. Again, this is old crop, so that added a million bales to the Chinese carryout. And then in Australia... They cut Australian exports owing to their lack of exportable surpluses, but they cut that number 600,000 bales, which went straight to the, to the Australian old crop carryout. Then there were other smaller changes, like in Bangladesh, Indonesia, Pakistan, and Vietnam. There were small month-over-month uh, -month reductions in ending stocks in those countries. So the impact of the old crop adjustments was mainly to add more supply to the new crop balance sheets, which... Frankly, they don't need it, but but it was it added up in the aggregate of uh, one one and three quarter million bale increase in old crop world ending stocks. Looking at old crop U.S. particularly, again, it was they they made some adjustments. They they cut domestic use 100,000 bales. They cut old crop exports 250,000 bales. It wasn't really surprising, given the slow pace of um, well. The slow pace of sales, not really. That's not that's not accurate. Given the slow pace of shipments, um, you know, there's really no way that we were going to meet the old target. I don't think we're going to meet the new target. Uh, but having lowered uh, um, 
U.S. export shipments, they cut the export number. That all went to the bottom line so that uh, ending stocks rose from 4.65 million to 5 million. So the carryout of the old crop U.S. numbers is getting bigger. So switching to the new crop numbers, again, in the world, we have, we have this increased carryout, which is really big in, in uh, it, now it's carry-in, gotten larger in India, in China, in Australia. Um, that went straight to the new crop Australian bottom line. So their ending stocks, new crop, went up 600,000. We have this extra million of Chinese carry-in coming in, and then they also, um, what did they do? They had another 500,000 bale adjustment in China. So their new crop ending stocks are up 1.5 million bales. And then in India, they did the same thing, this big carry-in coming in and then they raised Indian production new crop so 500,000 more new crop production they offset that a little bit with more spending and fewer exports but anyhow all of those things are, are getting bigger and then with the US numbers they basically you have this extra 300,000 more bales of carry-in and then they didn't they didn't really do much else on the US side they they didn't adjust, although they did incorporate the acreage number from June 28th. They still left the estimate of the crop at a 20, 22 million bale estimate. They kicked the can down the road, which that's not particularly surprising to me because you know they're working with averages and they're they're holding out until they have data, which is generally what they always what they always do. So they are still basically assuming for the U.S using historical averages. They're assuming an estimate. They're assuming an They're assuming. John, we're losing you. It's out. That would, plus the higher carrion would, would work out to a rather healthy supply of 27 million bales. And so if you make what I think is a pretty strong assumption that we export 17 million of that, that still leaves you with ending stocks a higher ending stocks number than we had before, than we had last month, it's around 6.7 million bales. So we've got ending stocks going from 5 to 6.7, almost a 2 million bale, 1 to 3 quarters million bale increase, which, you know, that kind of goes to the, to the bearish kind of price weakening story that we've more or less been telling for, for more than six months. Uh, that's, that's still with us. But that conclusion has some really major caveats, so let me let me focus on those. The first one, obviously, is production. We frankly don't, for this time of the year, we we don't have as good a handle on the acreage number as we usually do. We we might, in fact, have fewer planted acres than USDA is currently reflecting. Um, when the March number came out, you know, a lot of us thought perhaps that number was was too low and that the real intended plantings were going to be higher, but now we have to consider the June observations of what's planted and what's yet to be planted as of early June. That's what that report measures. So the, the, the question is, how much of the yet to be planted in early June didn't actually get planted? Maybe it's, I'm going to throw out a number, 300,000. Where did I get that from? 300,000 is is the average deviation from that June measurement 
to whatever the real final planted acreage number is. Over 20 years, the average deviation, higher or lower, is, is around 300,000. The highest it's ever been is almost, almost a million. So that's the historical um, framework for how that June number could vary. On average, 300,000, but it's been as high as a million. It's been as small as practically no change. So we'll just, we'll just have to see. Um, but this uncertainty is not going to get resolved until, until August at the earliest because what, what USDA is now waiting for, what we're all waiting for, are USDA FSA certified acres day, which are, I think those are due back to FSA around now, the middle of July, but we won't see them till, um, till August. So, so we're waiting on that. And I think if USDA needs to for cotton, they would go out and resurvey, NAS would resurvey acres if they feel like they need to do that. I don't think they would do that till September. So we've, we've got a few points here in the future where we'll, that we're having to wait for to, to get a clearer picture of the acreage, the acreage number. Okay, so that's one major caveat, just what are we working with in terms of acres. The other is um, we appear to have an improving crop, um, and that's just based on anecdotal reports and the, the normal uh, weekly reports from the field that USDA publishes and that you know, they publish in the form of the crop ratings. But the crop appears to be doing better um, in most places, responding to heat units, you know, in, in areas that needed to, to get going. They, they are getting going. Um, the reports that I hear from West Texas are, you know, there, there's some sketchy-looking spots for sure, but um, mostly what's being talked about is that, that the crops uh, are often, often doing very well. The South Texas crop reportedly is, what I've been told is there's two South Texas crops. There's the earlier planted one, which is really doing pretty good, and there's the later planted one, which could still use another rain and, you know, may get it from uh, these tropical bands that are coming from this thing over, over Louisiana. So, again, we'll have to see. But the reports are that apparently things are, are doing pretty well. From a crop rating standpoint, roughly almost half of the Texas crop and over half of the U.S. crop are are rated good to excellent another quarter of its rated fair so you know that sounds pretty good um for what it's worth the the pattern of crop condition ratings this year are kind of tracking along with the same at the same levels on the same path as the crop ratings for 2014, 2015, 2016. If you, if you look at a chart of it, they're all kind of overlaying each other. And in those years, like in Texas, we had, um, we had state average yields ranging from over 600 to 750 pounds per acre. So what will this year bring with the crop ratings that we have right now? Well, we really don't know. The next major caveat, we don't know because those, those differences, those fluctuations in crop ratings are not very good statistical predictors of what the final, what the final yield will be. And the second point, second caveat or sub-caveat to that is that, you know, the crop is late. Out, out, out here, I heard OA say by his reckoning that the crop nationwide was a, a week late or so. Out here, it's generally three weeks late when you, when you 
talk to folks, at least out in West Texas, they'll tell you that the crop's about three weeks late. So there is a lot riding on the the what happens in September and October. There's a lot riding on the, the maturation and harvest time conditions and weather, whether they have nice, sunny, open open weather for an extended period of time. And, you know, the, the chances of getting that may have improved in that um, the weather forecast anyway, the long-term weather forecast is, has switched from what it has been since last September, and that was we've been in an El Nino forecast situation. That means wetter, cooler and wetter than normal. That certainly gave us what we saw all fall, very, very wet fall, sloppy harvest season. It gave us the wet winter that we had. It gave us the wet spring that we had. Well, that forecast has changed. We have now moved. NOAA is now put us in a neutral situation. Uh, so that just means good old normal hot Texas you know, summer and everywhere else. Uh, a neutral situation that's moving towards a La Nina situation, meaning that the Pacific water temperatures that affect the climate are cooling. And even as if you get down into the late fall and early winter, it's almost, almost a La Nina type situation where it's cool enough to bring about drier than hotter and drier than uh, normal situations. Um, Ideally, that in my mind, I, I think, well, okay, hopefully, hopefully we have enough crop made, um, have enough stand establishment, have enough soil moisture to carry us for a while with a few timely rains. Maybe the crop will get all the rain it needs. And then if, if these neutral conditions and sub-La Nina conditions kick in, maybe that'll, maybe that'll increase the chances of having a dry fall so that we have a, an optimal uh, kind of harvest situation. You know, time will tell. We'll, we'll just have to see. But I hope it works out. I hope it works out the best of using the moisture we have and then having the dry, <clears throat> open period that we need. So that's a whole bunch of rambling caveats about production. The main demand caveat to this is that uh, you know the pace of new crop exports is rather weak. Um, the indicators we have, of course, are the weekly uh, new crop export sales and just picking on the latest one from July the 4th, uh, we had very poor sales. I think it was 39,000 of all cotton, 39,100. Now, it's the summer doldrums, and it's a holiday week, so you wouldn't necessarily expect gangbusters. But just for comparison, one year ago at this time, summertime, holiday time, one year ago at this time, they had six and a half times that level of export sales so this year certainly is not shaping up to be the kind of gangbuster um, uh, export demand that we had of the previous two and if the slow low pace of export sales new crop sales keeps up then i'm you know it's going to raise doubts about the possibility of reaching 17 million bales the 17 million bale target we've only done that once before and in that year prices were a lot lower than they are now and if I'm not mistaken, that was also the year that the Step 2 subsidy expired. So we don't have any of that. And, and so, again, we'll just uh, we'll have to see. So, again, we're dealing with a lot of uncertainty. It's going to take time to work it out. Um, there are a number of things I could see that would still leave us with um, with a price forecast that, in my mind, focuses on the downside price risks that, you know, it may set in when some of these some of these uncertainties uh, 
get resolved, which you know is beginning in beginning in August, but really probably in September and October when we have a better picture of what kind of supplies we're dealing with, and then I'm worried about prices um, pushing the lower end of of the range. Pat, that sums up all my comments. I hand it off to you. Okay, well let's open it up for everybody. Any any comments? Well, <clears throat> even though ending stocks are increasing, if you sit there and you look at a stocks to use ratio on a relative basis, I mean things aren't as bad as, as they look. Um now you know, does consumption get worse and and does the crop get better around the world? Um yeah, I, I guess it could. Uh, the uh, um, by by all accounts right now, you know things seem to be slowing down. This uh, the easy tariff wars, uh, the easy trade wars to win, you know, are not so easy after all. And uh, I think that's starting to have a real impact uh, on feeding through the system on on a lot of different things. And and so uh, um, yeah, it's uh, certainly consumption is is going to be. Uh, a big question mark moving forward. Away or Kip, your thoughts? Well, I thought John did an excellent job. I, uh, I, I am really in a quandary. Uh, I guess I just simply I should say possibly I am the one that's very confused regarding to the trade situation. I don't see that the trade war has us in a quandary at all. Uh, I'm not even sure I know what a quandary is with respect to international trade anymore. But uh, we, uh, I, I think we're, we, we want to talk about trade because it hit us at a time that the world was beginning to realize that we were going to have uh, an on, the onset of an increased world production. And the market has trended lower and lower and lower. So the easy thing to do was to dump all the problems on the trade situation. Uh, since that time, we've seen uh, report after report after report of increased production. We've seen a significant smidgen of reports that demand is down, down, down. So the perfect recipe for lower prices there with me with the idea that we have a, a, a potential world record crop. Uh, we kind of uh, crossed our fingers, didn't wish any difficulty on anyone, but we hoped that we wouldn't have this record world crop. Well, so far to date, and as, as John indicated, there's a lot of time yet left out there. Uh, the conditions are set to have this world record crop, and we're having this demand problem. Uh, as a consequence, what would we expect prices to do? They have to go lower. Uh, just, I mean, we line that 100,000 times. So uh, my, my, my situation, and as I say, my quandary, whatever that is, is that I am extremely concerned about a price with five in front of it, some 50, some 58, 57. Uh, I, the things that we look to for support, uh, John indicated we the USDA has a 17 million bail estimate for exports for uh, upcoming crop 
short time, and it wasn't some would call a very special set of circumstances during that year. So I am just still hung up on this on this crop versus demand situation. Uh, there's so much water, and folks understand it much better than I do, but there's so much water on the Texas crop, and that roots getting down there. Just assuming we get the chance to harvest that crop, it's going to be huge. Uh, we've got a great looking crop in Georgia. It's, it's starting to meet some water. We've got a great looking crop too much on the mid south. Uh, it, it's portions of it are needing water, but all of that should be rectified this weekend. But who knows? It might not be. Uh, so, I, to, to me, that's the situation. It, or is it going to be but it does have an impact on people's perception on demand out there and how it's so from that perspective yes um, you know and and it certainly has made us less competitive seemingly you know it's opened the doors to other countries namely Brazil to start claiming uh, uh, their uh, uh, you know taking away demand that I think otherwise would have gone to the United States. So um, the quandary, <laughs> the quandary being, you know, what do you do in these circumstances? Um, what can the market do in these circumstances with, uh, um, you know, with all this uncertainty out there that's being created by the, uh, um, by the discussions, if you will, or lack of discussions surrounding trade? It's also it's also in a in a in a non-commercial sort of way the the trade thing has given an impetus to the to the speculative um, influence. I, I, the last time Trump when he tweeted on a Sunday and about what he was going to do the following Friday and the market went down 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 that that was I think the last time we had a major what we went down nine or ten cents and recovered a little bit but. But that's when these guys, who are now really, really net short, I think they're at a record net short. That's that let them really, it gave them an excuse to to be bearish and sell the market lower. That you know that could be a very short term thing. You know if there's a tweet, hey we've resolved something, um, or and I don't want this to happen. If there's a if there's news about you know something bad happening to the crop, or maybe news about fewer acres planted than we thought. Something that gets those guys to buy their way out of their net short position could be a little bit of upside volatility, maybe fleeting. It may only be five or six cents that gets us back to 69 or 70 or something. Uh, but that's sitting out there. But the, 
my original point, the trade stuff has influenced them into some of the short-term positioning that so far has weighed on the market. Uh, we've got some questions that have come in, and we just want to go into, I want to mention one of these here, uh, and it has to do with the U.S.-China trade negotiations. Uh, when we went back, when we've, just, we've agreed to come back to the table, bargaining table, uh, Trump had, you know, one of his requests was that we would see China coming in and buying U.S. ag products, and, and, and it, uh, I, I assume enough time has gone by now that if we were going to see that, we would see it. Is that true? I mean, is 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 has nothing happened on that front? It doesn't appear to me that anything has happened on the cotton front as a result of that. Well, I see. I think that's exactly right. But I think it's folly to have assumed that there was anything ever going to happen on the cotton front. We discussed this at the Memphis Gin Show. It never has been. This this issue never has been about cotton. It's never been about agriculture simply to do with international uh, intellectual property and uh, international trade as it related to security, to the overall security situation. Unfortunately, uh, agriculture got brought into it. But, uh, you know, last week's news, or excuse me, this week's news out of the administration indicated that it was too early to expect uh, any agricultural purchases. the uh, the ultimate halt with the Bandino uh, was is fussing today because the same issue no no trades have been no agro purchases have been paid uh, we should expect uh, cotton corn and soybeans to be done but uh, uh, it, it, it's I think it's uh, a little bit forward to suggest that enough time has passed it's actually been well less than two weeks since this agreement was actually made so. I think we're jumping the gun there. We're awful anxious. I, 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 I understand that uh, trade, a fair trade, is, uh, is is good for all. It's the tide that lifts all boats, and all that's good. It's uh, that's our, our, our theory, our economic theory. Uh, you know, we've got learning degrees in that stuff, so it's right. But the big problem is, is that the assumptions we make. Uh, simply are not real-world assumptions, and that's what's coming home uh, to bite uh, those folks that, that keep talking about, well, the trade is bad. Uh, the limits of trade is bad, the limits of trade is bad, uh, because they buy, buy into the assumptions that, that everything is perfect competition, or everything is pure competition, and other people don't change their minds. And that's what we're talking is just whether or not we have the gumption to hold on to, to get the ultimate uh, demand uh, as it should be, or if we want to cave, as we always have in the past, and allow us, uh, our economy to lose in other areas. It's, it's, it's an extremely difficult situation. I'm not trying to make light of it at all. And it does, in Gerald's context, it does leave us in a quandary as to whether we want these big boys to stand up or whether we want to just separate all these little Indians and uh, have our little long individual skirmishes. Now, I, okay. I come back again to the idea that uh, this market has gone down in an extremely consistent pattern with the ideas that world carryover and U.S. carryover were on the verge of exploding. Now, we don't necessarily say world carryover is exploding. It's just gone up 76, 77, 
uh, right at 80 million bales, so what, three to four plus million bales from earlier hours. The U.S. carryover has gone up around 4.3, 4.2, to potentially up to seven, seven and a half billion bales. That's an explosion. As to why Brazil is beating us in, in, in China with exports, I would contend that it's the irrecoverable crop, the huge crop, and people forget that there's no storage capacity for cotton in Brazil. It has to be sold, it has to be trucked, it has to be moved out of there uh, just almost immediately because they don't have warehouses like we have warehouses. So they're going to have a fire sale. Uh, they'll beat us every year on that, and they always have. So they're going to move their crop first. We continue, we sit back and support our policies, our bad policies. We have all the warehouses. We're willing to store cotton uh, and, and, and bet on the come and transport farewell for us. But I, I, I think because it's so easy to blame trade, we're forgetting the real supply and demand implications. That's just my opinion. Uh, that's uh, I know I differ with my friends on that, but uh, that's just my opinion. And Pat, I'll do my best to shut up about that. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, as always, our, our some of our listeners asked the question, "Where can we go on price?" And with and and quite a few of them are wanting to know, "Are we going to bounce any?" And is there anything to do? So let's just go ahead and get into that. We've run a little long, so let's let's just look at. Uh, I start with you, Gerald, and just give us what you think the range for uh, December cotton could be. Are we going to get an opportunity to get any kind of bounce? <clears throat> well, I uh, I thought we were going to hold $0.65. Cents. I, I just felt like this market was just bound and determined to hold $0.65. Cents. Um, you know, the only real sellers you had out here were the, specula- were the speculators. <clears throat> but $0.65 cents has, has certainly given way right now. And, uh, you know, you got – you got some support around sixty cents. Um, the uh, the July low was sixty point two seven. So you know we may try to go down and, and threaten that, but uh, really we're probably looking now at a you know fifty four to fifty six cent you know downside on on this market. Um, you know unless something happens to the crop um, from a production standpoint to, to shave some of these supplies off. Um, we're probably looking at, at mid fifties right now. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it's that bad out there. Um, you know, John points out that export sales are slow. Yeah, they're slow. But last year was was an anomaly. Um, you know, this year uh, we're we're still well ahead of our historical averages in terms of selling uh, cotton into uh, into the new crop. Now, granted, some of that uh, cotton. Had, fairly significant amount, what, 1.3 or 4 million bales of that is is China, and you don't know if that stuff is going to get uh, canceled or not. Um, the uh, So that, you know, that could have an impact. But uh, still, things aren't as horrible as they seem out there. It just feels bad because we're sitting here at, uh, you know, 63 cents when it wasn't that long ago. We were, you know, at 75 cents. Um, but uh, no, I think we're. I think we certainly could be looking at a 54 to 56 cent market on the downside, and, and on the upside, it would just be, given the supply situation, 
um, it's going to be very difficult to get back over 70, 70 cents um, anytime soon, I think. So, you know, call me 54 to 56 cents on the downside, 68 to, to 70 cents on, on the upside. Okay, John, what are your projections? I like what he just said. My, my dad always said nothing is as bad or as good as, as it seems, either one. But uh, anyway, on the prices, yeah, you know, if the uncertainty comes out of this market about what we've got and the demand situation remains just where it is, then, then I think we could weaken to the upper 50s. So I'd say 58 to 70. I wouldn't be surprised by something that causes a bit of a – short covering rally but even if that happens i don't think it would go over 70 i don't think it would last very long so 58 to 70 all right away but i concur i like john 58 57 uh, figure uh, uh john hinted at it there Carol liked me on it uh, earlier in the week that uh, we get a short covering rally we get a uh, all the, the trade Difficulties over. The, the specs were so short, we could get a, a short covering rally on that basis. Excuse me, take us up to your seventies. It really got rolled. Uh, again, we you know, all of this is predicated on a big crop, and uh, all that can change so quickly. But uh, at the same time, we, we we do have to be aware that below there, I don't know, maybe seventy cents would be the top number. 72 cents, okay, I, I'll accept that. Uh, 56, 57 cents, I like that a little bit better. 54 cents, but who knows once we get into this. Window. The other problem we see, talk about the specs being so short, but the, the, the stock market, the equity market, the stocks, uh, or internationally called the shares, uh, that market is Wall Street is so strong, it's just sucked all the good speculative money out of Mark Calvin. Specifically, out of cotton. Out of cotton's been a hero to those guys for four years, and it's not performing. So they've left the cotton market. We just don't have that money there to, to boost us like it has in the past. So, uh, again, they're just uh, some, somewhere in between in the mid to upper 50s up to the, uh, the very low 70s, if, 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 if we can get even that high. Thank you. All right, you well, know, let's wrap uh, up. Pat, I got one more thing. You know, um, yeah, we're looking at a fairly large crop here, but it's not a record crop around the world. I mean, unless, you know, estimates grow larger from here. I mean, we're about a million and a half bales below the record crop that we had in 2011 of 127 million bales. But even with the adjustments in consumption, we're still looking at a world record consumption number. So when I said things aren't as bad as they seem, they just, they really aren't. so it's. Uh, I think we. I think we need to keep uh, a lot of that in, in perspective, uh, as far as uh, how good or bad things are. Well, that all that's very very true. But we're also seeing a, a very strong increase in uh, in cotton carryover in world exporting countries, and that's yeah. where the demand competition comes from. And as a consequence, that puts a bit of a hammer on, on, on prices uh, as we make those kind of comparisons. I, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I'm just thinking we look at the location of this cotton, this, this cotton, exporting countries, it's all the same. Whoa, 
This is where our competition is. Kip, what, tell me what, where we're going. Excuse me, Pat. I guess that's your call. Well, no, I, I didn't, have not heard anything from Kip. I assumed he wasn't with us. <laughs> he slept in. Kip? Kip? <laughs> you know, we were, uh, in fact, Kip and I were talking yesterday, and he was talking about their meteorologists are saying that uh, the crop conditions in India in terms of, uh, you know, a monsoon, they're calling for things to, to not be so good that over over the rest of the, uh, the summer. Yeah. So not only was monsoon late in India, but and you've got more coverage, but interior of, of India, as you move into the fall, is, is supposedly, you know, at least by their weather people or one weather person they listen to, is uh, things aren't looking too spiffy over there. Nevertheless, right. he's raised them 500,000 bales. Yeah, I know. So they got record prices. <laughs> that, that must mean they have a bigger crop. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. I uh, want to thank our speakers for uh, uh, joining in today and giving us, giving us their thoughts on the market. Uh, thanks for you, our listeners. I want to remind everybody of our July 26th special New York Cotton Market Roundtable. Make sure you you look for that information. That will be live streamed on our website, uh, so you you can listen to it by dialing in uh, as as you did today. But you can also listen to, uh, watch it live streaming from the New York Stock Exchange, and then of course we'll have it up later uh, archived. So we want to thank everybody. That concludes this edition of the Ag Market Network. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.